welcome back to another episode of Real Conversations About Aging Parents. This is your host, Rebecca. I have a guest with me today. Edla, hello. How are you? I'm good, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. I, I'm so excited. What's really cool about this conversation is that you and I have never actually met. Nope. And we've only met online, I guess, through email. And yeah. I really like that setup sometimes because when I interview people I know, sometimes I feel like I I know too much. You know what I'm saying? Like, or uh, I, yeah. I have too many th- I don't know. I come into it with a lot of answers already in my head, but I really also like talking to people that I've never talked to before, because when I'm asking you the questions, I genuinely don't know. Like, I don't know what state you live in. Where do you live? I live in North Carolina. North Carolina. Aren't you guys having some weather right now? Yes, we are, which I was going to tell you. Hopefully I don't lose internet connection. Okay. Okay. (laughs) But we should be fine. We should be all right. Excellent. I'm pretty far away from about three hours from the coast. So oh, okay. We're just getting the rain and a little bit of wind. Oh, I see. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So I, I, when we first kind of exchanged emails, I know you have a lot of stories to share, mm-hmm. also a lot of lessons learned. And then as we'll talk about, you even changed that journey into trying to help other people through some of the things that you've learned. So before we dive into the story about your parents, can you just give me a quick snapshot of yourself? Like, what do you, what hobbies you like to do, things like that? Well, I can start with hobbies. I love to travel. And so I do as much of that as I can. I'm a big movie person. So I watch a lot of movies and um, my husband and I like to get out on our bikes. And really, I like to spend time with my friends and family. So that's what I spend most of my free time doing. One of those things usually. Any pets? Yes, I have a cat named Grace. We've had multiple multiple pets over the years, but now we're just down to an indoor-outdoor cat so I can freely travel. (laughs) Awesome. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's good. (laughs) She's low maintenance. So tell tell me about just sort of, I always like to trace back to the first time you thought that your parents might need some extra assistance. I mean, we all go through this arc, right? Where we need them and and we always need them uh, for a lot of situations, but um, there's a point at which the the fulcrum balances a little bit differently. Can you go back Mm -hmm. and trace back and tell me about that? Yeah, you know, I get asked that question a lot and it's really kind of tricky for me to answer because it wasn't like one defining moment. Some of my clients do have a defining moment where there's something happens and it changes the trajectory. My caretaking journey really started with my dad and probably 20, I would say 2012 is when we really started noticing some things. And it was kind of gradual. Like first we just sort of made jokes or he made jokes about, oh, I'm stumbling or, oh, I, you know, just things like that. And then there were a few sort of uh, incidences where I started going, what in the world is going on? We used to take a um, family beach vacation every summer. My parents would rent a house at the beach and myself and my family and my siblings and my nephews, we'd all go to the beach. And it used to be pretty balanced where mom and dad were two extra adults to help us with all the children. So for years that went on. But then one year I felt like I was helping, having to help mom and dad just as much as I was having to help my children. And it just didn't have the same level of fun and relaxation that it had in the past because mom and dad were just, 
you know, it was harder to get up the steps. It was harder to carry the groceries in, things like that. And then I think another, two other sort of incidences stand out. My mom and dad went to about an hour away from where we lived to watch my nephew's football game. And my dad had an incident and they had to call EMS to the football field. Around that same time, we have a big um, fair here in North Carolina, like our state fair. And my dad always um, sponsored a booth there. And my son was with him. And I think my son called me and said, something's going on with Pop. And that's what they called him. Well, I got there and I, I didn't know at the time, on hindsight, I knew he his blood sugar was so low that he was about to pass out. Oh, goodness. And why I didn't call EMS, I don't know. I've just like got him out of the fair and mom, we picked him up and we went home and we're all frantic, still just not. And that's, those are the things when I reflect on that, those are the things that were like, okay, we're, this is a different ball game now, you know. Yeah. And did y'all always, always live in the driving distance or what was your kind of family setup? Yes. I always lived in driving distance in pretty close proximity to my parents when they got older. And how many siblings do you have? What What's kind of the family structure? I have two. I have an older sister and a younger brother and each of them have one son and I have two sons. Okay. And they also lived close or they were out of town? Uh, yeah. My brother lived relatively, you know, closer by my sister. It wasn't an hour and a half drive away. So okay, they were in close, relative close proximity also. Okay. Gotcha. So you started noticing that he was having some more health incidents, events, those types yeah. of things. And then yeah. what happened next? I guess we started trying to set some limits with dad and encourage him, encouraging him to go to the doctor more regularly and encouraging him to make better lifestyle choices, you know, and. Was that effective? <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds good on paper. Right. <laughs> I, 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 I know people that make a whole living trying to do that, like physicians that are always yes. trying to say. Yeah. Yes. Would Exercise be, more. Yeah. Eat right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, we tried those things and, um, well, he didn't really laugh at us, but he just pretty much ignored us, you know, and he was like, I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. You know, he was a tough old bird and he had an opinion about how he thought things should go. I mean, he was great, but he, but, you know, he, he was pretty strong willed and, you know, was like, I'm fine. It's going to be fine. So well, he, we, we wouldn't be talking here unless there was a. <laughs> Correct. A point at which, right, that that, that probably uh, started yeah. to change. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, there was so, so many examples of us, um, you know, just trying to get him to take better care of himself and to make safer choices. My parents lived on a hill, and he had um, bird dogs that he kept at the bottom of the hill, and he would always walk down the hill. And it was not, it just wasn't safe because he wasn't so steady, right? You know, so we tried to say, dad, take a cane or dad, let's build a fence. You can walk down there. Dad, don't go down there. Well, you know, he didn't, he didn't pay us any mind. So I think fast forward, you know, we tried all the things, 
and I'll say we, because I don't want to <laughs> point <laughs> fingers to anybody in my family, but my mother and my siblings and I, you know, we tried a variety of things. You know, we tried to reason with him. And then we started nagging him. And then we started guilting him. And then we started threatening him. And all that did was make it worse. So I'm going to stop you right there because you're maybe incidentally making a point that I talked about in a prior podcast called Reasonable Risk. Uh And that podcast was about how everybody has a different calculation of their own autonomy and freedom and their body. And, but where, where the rubber meets the road is if, if, if somebody falls, then there's a, an entire system that comes, raises up to try to support that person in the rehab process or the medical establishment as they move through it. And, and that's where as much reasoning and pushing as you're doing, it's kind of this juxtaposition of, yes, of course we want you to be safe, but we also don't want to be called in the middle of the night when the dogs are out and nobody can, nobody knows where you're at. And so that's a, that could be a really hard place. And I'm, I'm glad you just mentioned it. Cause I know that that's a big friction point for a lot of people. Yes, it is. And I think it's, I, I mean, I hate to say this, but it's a little bit like you need that friction point for something to shift. Right. You know, yeah. because you're really going from, a relationship where a person is autonomous, has free will, has all the choices in complete control of their life to needing some support. And that's rarely going to be a smooth transition. For some people it is, they make the changes themselves, but for many people, it's just not a smooth transition. And so sometimes that friction is what enables the system to change or to move forward, right? So, yeah, I mean, we went through, we went through those pain points as a family um, and, you know, some of it was more successful than others. And, and I think, um, you know, for me personally, I can't speak for my mother or my siblings, but for me personally, I just had this sort of aha that. okay, this is not how I want to do this. I I want to do this differently. And so then I began to change some of my own interactions with him and started educating myself on some different ways to engage him, but also just kind of looking at some developmental things, you know, like what is the natural process of aging? You know, what are some things that are typical? You know, we read all the time what to expect when you're expecting, right? Or what the first year of a kid's life. And my clients have heard me say this a million times, but we don't ever read about development across the lifespan. You know, you don't read about your 14 year old or your 24 year old or your 84 year old parent, right? So, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but that it kind of started with that 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 sort of those friction points of us trying to get him to cooperate with us and to make safer choices. And then, you know, the system began to change and we had to do some things differently or I did anyway. So it sounds like the the nudge that you had was, you know, keeping pushing the safety issues was not going to be a productive way to go. And you talked about changing the way you were approaching it. Do you mean like the literal words you were using to talk to him or, and, or you went and got educated yourself on 
on what to expect in that group, which I know there isn't a lot of information out there. Right. Yes, to both of those things. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that <clears throat> share a little story that might kind of help it pull it together. And you know, in my mind, this happened on the same day, but it probably didn't happen on the same day. But in my recollection is like this. I was at work and at that particular time, I was a parent counselor for parents of young children. So they would come in to see me because their kids weren't sleeping through the night or they were tantruming or, you know, they wanted to wear whatever crazy get up for picture day, you know, just random stuff. And I would give them strategies to help their children be more cooperative. I'd educate them on what sort of developmentally appropriate for a three-year-old and so forth and so on. Well, while I'm doing this, I feel like my phone was ringing nonstop with my mother telling me, your dad won't do this, your dad won't do that. I need you to come over here and help me get your dad to take a bath or whatever. And so one incident that came to mind is my mom was frustrated because my dad wouldn't take a bath. I, could, I don't remember why she wanted him to take a bath, but he was pushing back on her. So I got to the house and I, I was not really looking forward to having to get in the middle of the two of them, which I did for a while until I finally, mm. you know, figured out kind of ways around that. So I got to the house and dad was sitting at the car in the carport like he normally did. And I don't know, I just started talking to him and just catching up on his day and finding out about the garden, which he had been working in, just connecting with him. And you know, it was just like something came over me and I was like, oh my God, I need to talk to him like I tell my parents to talk to their young children. So I said, you know, dad, you've been working in the garden all day. It's really hot out here. I said, you should probably go in and take a quick shower, at least a little bird bath. And I said, which do you think you'd want to do? Oh, no, I don't need to do anything, you know, that sort of thing. And so I said, yeah, I know it's kind of a pain. I said, but you know, let's, let's go ahead and do one or the other. And then I said, that'll get mom off your back too. <laughs> I did say that. <laughs> so we went in, he said, well, I think I'll take a bird bath. Well, it was when he said that, I thought, that's weird. My dad's never taken a bird bath in his life. So then it got me thinking, maybe I'm missing something. And so I went in and, you know, got the, you know, the sink started and kind of left him too you know, to wipe up. But then I went upstairs to their bathroom and I started looking at it through a different lens. And you probably know what I'm going to say. There was a slipping floor mat. There was no bar. There right. was, there, it just was a safety issue, right? He also wore glasses, which meant he had to take his glasses off. And I found out later his vision was declining mm -hmm. more because of the diabetes. And was he having cognitive decline as well, or he was not okay. at this point, not at this point, you know, maybe a few years later, we were starting to see some vascular dementia, Yeah, um, but no, but I mean, at this point he was, well, it, it, he wasn't, it didn't seem like he was. So it was kind of, at least for me, that was sort of a turning point for me is that it's about connection, you know, it's about like you said, calculated risk. It's about giving them as much autonomy as they can. It's about giving them as much choice as they can. And then it was about, you know, uh, what can you let go of? 
personally as as his child, right? And so I don't know that that's sort of how that started this journey for me. And then the education, well, I picked everyone's brain, every physician, everything I could find online, people that other psychologists and um, therapists that I worked with just, you know, sort of putting things together. And it, it's been, it's been really helpful or it was really helpful. So you, your background is in child psychology or school psychology? Well, I'm a licensed clinical mental health counselor. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. So I worked early. The majority of my working career was in our local school system and I had different jobs there. So, and I also have a private practice. So I did early on, I has only worked with kids, but then it kept transitioning across the lifespan. Then I started working <laughs> with the parents yeah. and the parents started coming to see me about their mental health issues. And then my client, my adult clients started talking about their aging parents. So So that's cool. And that makes me want to ask a a broader question that maybe we could digest together, which Mm -hmm. my perception is that when, when, when I hear a lot of the, you know, uh, similar to what you said, dad, dad won't take his medication or, Mm -hmm. or go to the doctor or take a bath. And what I feel like is there can be underneath this, a real grieving of a change, but then we have these tangible objects. Dad won't go to the doctor. Right. And we can hold it in our hand and say, this is what I'm angry about. Right. This is upsetting and I'm trying to control it, but I can't. And, and then we, we end up accumulating all of these almost like behavioral modifications that we think they should make to, to make them safer, which really is to make us feel better. Right. We've Absolutely. lost the autonomy in the middle of this, but, but I, I wonder when we take a step back and you look at this, that we're not giving ourselves language to say, this is, this is difficult. And this is, I don't know where this is going. And the, 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 the number that uncertainty does on the brain, right? Just the unable to control this. You don't know what's happening and it's somebody that you care about. And then for a lot of people, somebody they feel culturally or religiously or morally bound to protect and to support, or even by the 10 commandments, right. To, to honor if, if that was the, the upbringing of somebody. So, so it's a really, that's why I'm so interested in this space because I, it's a, it's a big one. It's huge. No, it's huge. And I mean, as you're talking about that, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And yes. I mean, okay, let's talk about anticipatory grief. Absolutely. And we don't talk about grief near enough in terms of just the idea of change being grief, right? We, we don't talk about, especially some generations, I think we're moving better, uh, you know, we're moving in a better place with this, but it just wasn't okay for people to share their feelings. Right. right? right. And, you know, just being more willing to um, share and talk about just your feelings in general about whatever. I think that the cultural experiences, I mean, my dad, for example, he was in the you know, the good old boy, tough guy, you know, nothing gets me down era, right? And then I think another thing, at least for my parents, is their parents died much younger than they did. So they didn't have a model for aging, Mm. which I think is another um, part of this. So you're exactly right. It's just layers upon layers upon layers. And then you take in family dynamics, 
that may be functioning, may not function well, may be stressed. And, and it just, it, there's so many different variables that can impact how this journey goes. When I was talking to somebody a couple of months ago about aging in place, and mm-hmm. they said something that just stuck in my head. And they said that we need to be designing for this, this newest generation. They're going to live to be 120. Right. And are we designing homes that one lasts 120 years right. and two can support the functional needs of a 120 year old person, which of course my head exploded. I'm like, nobody lives to be 120. But then if you were here, you know, 80, 90 years ago, you'd say nobody lives to 80. That's right. And now we have all these 80 year olds on tennis courts and driving Teslas. And, and so we, we are, I don't, we don't know it because we're in the middle of it, but when you, when you zero out and come up to the, the 30,000 foot view, I always think of it like these very, it's a mathematical thing. Hmm. So people are living longer. And then the careers are lasting longer. So the retirement age keeps getting bumped up. And because of the cost of living, you have to work longer. Right. And then what's happening is there's this like this collision between uh-huh. the this this aging population, the boomer, like the older boomers are even older than that. And then the people that are supposed to be helping them in their 50s or 60s okay. are trying to make a living. And right. like they can't stop working. And it just is a very, and, and, and the other thing is that women are having children later in life. Right. And so you could very conceivably have, you know, a kid in high school and a parent in an assisted living. That is oh, not yeah. crazy. Yeah. I have a client right now who's got a nine-year-old daughter and she's got 80-year-old parents. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, a you know, the sandwich generation or, and sometimes it's like double sandwich because there's some caretakers that are caring for their parents and their grandchildren. Oh, that's right. Right. So because of what you said, people are living so much longer. It's going to be really interesting to see. I'm not going to quote any statistics, but I read something not too long ago that the number of people that are going to be living to over a hundred in just the next 10 years is going to be astronomical compared to where we are even now. Well, and I, and I, as a rehab physician, I have to bring this part up, which is we have extended the chronological life of the body. Mm -hmm. We haven't in concert with that necessarily learned how to extend the function of the body. And because, because rehab services are always, you know, getting cut and, you know, insurances are very stingy with rehabilitation services. You know, if we have a 75 year old with a, a broken hip, we've got to get them walking and showering again, or that's going to be an extremely expensive long-term care patient. And and so, yeah. And Rebecca, to your point, as a rehabilitation physician, as a mental health professional, we're not working on our mental health component either of what, what the, the mental health implications are. So it's, yeah, we don't have the rehab facilities. We don't have the mental health um, knowledge. We don't have, well, just even the resources. I mean, just the, the caretaking, the, the community of caretakers where you can hire, it's hard to find caretakers. It's like childcare is hard. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a challenging system for sure. And one thing, one other thing I would say, is you mentioned, another thing that I found interesting is I have been really hesitant to assign a number like an uh, an age to my aging parents because of what you just said. 
not all 80 year olds are created equal. Not all 70 year olds are created equal. You know, like I meet some people that are 70 and it's like they can run circles around me. And then you meet other 70 year olds and they're in very poor health. So it, and then of course you get dementia related illnesses in there, which I think are their own separate right, right, right. kind of issue. But yeah, no, I, I'm, we're on the same page. I think it's, you know, we're preaching to the choir as they say, right? <laughs> well, let's go back to your dad. So what was the, his journey like? Yeah, so he um he began to narrow his circle kind of on his own. There were some more incidences with his driving where he got turned around because there's so much road construction in our town, you know, and he he got turned around. Um he got he started now this is where some of the dementia stuff may have started, you know, working its way in, but he woke up from a nap and thought it was dawn but it was dusk and he got in his truck to go out to the country where he had his some of his buddies and he thought it was dawn but it was dusk he was he should have he was totally come turned around so it was after that that we really kind of I don't I don't think we took the keys but yeah, we pretty much took the keys so he couldn't drive anymore. And he just started riding with my mom. Was that a discussion or was that passive? Well, no, it wasn't really a discussion. It was more of a, I think. They disappeared and he didn't say anything? (laughs) It was two things. He started limiting his driving on his own. Now, he didn't ever say out loud, I think I need to quit driving. He just started limiting his driving. And then... If I'm remembering correctly, the, the keys just, you know, they just disappeared and he just never said anything else about them. Did he so have that, a strong proclamations about maybe now that you're describing him, I doubt this, but like, this is really big in that generation. Like I'm not going to a nursing facility or, you know, I'll, I'll die at home and those kind of things where, but then like for practical purposes, you're like, well, this is not really set up for that. And (laughs) yeah, and that's one thing. Now that's what I was going to say. The next thing, I guess, fast forward, sort of the next thing that we did, they still were in their, um, the family home where we grew up and it was three stories and it was just, and you know, 45, 50 years worth of treasures, Yeah, (laughs) you know, their stuff. And it was just really not set up, but yes, he was not, thinking he was leaving. He wasn't going anywhere. So the first thing we did was we tried to make some modifications in the home. We got okay. the the chair, what do you call the thing? The stair lift? Yeah, the, the stair lifts. And, you know, we made some modifications to the bathroom. We put some, just coming um, from the outside of into the house, there was no handrail. So we put that up, you know, just some simple things. But then it just became, then, then my mother just could not keep up. I mean, now, now I'm starting to see changes in her, right? She just, I don't know, she's just like not cooking and just the mail was piling up. I mean, she's just overwhelmed by all that has to be done, you know, to manage all this. So 
I don't, again, another one of those things. I don't quite know how. We did have home care come in. We did rehab. We did all those things. And, you know, but it was just stopgap. It was like six weeks. And then they would yeah. release everybody or release him. And then we hired some people to come in. And, you know, he was like, nobody's bathing me. And yeah. You know, Mom didn't want them, you know, mom wanted them to do everything. She wanted them to cook and clean. And they're like, no, we don't do that. And so fast forward, I finally was able to somehow convince them that it was time to move to a um, continuing care community. So I found a um, continuing care community where they could move into independent living and then there were stair steps, right? So as things progressed. So that was a huge transition trying to um, move them. But we moved them into the community care unit, the community care facility in November. And my dad died in February. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it wasn't very long. He had, I remember we had Christmas at, the, at their apartment. And I remember the community had a, ooh, it gets me kind of choked up still talking mm -hmm. about it. The, <clears throat> the community had a New Year's Eve party and mom and dad went and I asked him about it. And dad said, they danced the night away is what he told me. Oh. And he said to mom, he said, we better dance this year because we might not be able to dance next year. You know, he was, he was a pretty, you know, pretty jokester the whole way but then then it literally Rebecca now here's where it really turned up on its head it's like I, I was going to the doctor the emergency room every day I was like what are we doing this is what are they going to fix there's too many things and then he and mom landed in the hospital at the same time that was around the first of February or something he and mom landed in the hospital at the same time and that's when the you know, the team, <laughs> the medical yeah. team wants to have a conversation with you. And they, they recommended that we put dad on hospice. And I, I'm not kidding you. I'm like, which way do I go up the <laughs> hall to dad's room or down the hall to mom's room? I'm just, I, I, I was, I have no words to describe that. That was tough. Yeah. Uh, is that is really hard. Let me, let me ask you a couple steps before that, when you sure. said that they moved into the continuing care community. So we've mentioned that a couple of times in the podcast, and that's basically a, a community where they could move from independent living to assisted living and to you know, whatever level that they might need and not have to move different states or something like that. But how did you get them? How did that conversation go? Like how, it sounds like they were, they were in their family home for most of their life. And then- yes. I mean, obviously you didn't just like drive up one day and put them in the car. No. So like... <laughs> well, you know how another thing we, when you were talking about all the factors that come into play, another factor that comes into play is everyone's temperament and personality. And, you know, I knew my mom and dad's temperaments and personality and my mother, she liked new things. She liked fancy things and she liked a good deal. Like she liked the bargain. And so I said, let's just go see and just see what, let's just go look. And then if it, we hate it, then 
at least we know we've looked. So we went to a couple of places and this was helpful for me too, because I've never toured any, you know, communities like this. And we found this one place that they ended up going and it was out of, we, we don't live in a huge city, but it's a pretty big city, but this was out of town a little bit. And it gave, it had that sort of, it felt comfortable for my mother. And then the way that it was decorated was straight up her style. And my mom was a big homemaker and she loved decorating and interior design and all that stuff. So she loved that. And then they were running a special. And <laughs> I'm laughing. I mean, I really <laughs> did not manipulate any of this, but they were running a special and it was a pretty good special. Like some of these places, you have to spend a ton of money to get into them, right? But they were running like, I don't know, 50% off or something, the entry fee. And so. Are you comfortable talking about that? Do you, do you know how much it was? Um, I feel like I'm going to misquote that. For some reason, I think it was 130000 to buy into it. Right. And that I, sounds about right. If that's I, half off. Yeah. No, that was the, that was the full price. So they, oh, had, okay. they Usually were they're like 200 or 250 to buy in. Right, right, right. But remember this was in 2013. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was a while back. And so it was like half of that or something. And then we looked at, you know, sort of the monthly expenses and she loved that. Cause you remember I mentioned she was having a little bit of the bills and keeping up with all that stuff. Cause you know, we were starting to transition to so much online banking and things like that. And that, you know, it was just a lot. So she loved that it was all inclusive. She loved that, you know, she could get her hair cut there and that the cake, you know, the cable would be taken care of and that, you know, she loved all the safety features of it. She loved everything about it. So, and at this point, well, on hindsight now, dad was four months from his, five months from his death. So, you know, he wasn't, I think at this point he was just resigned because he didn't give us really any pushback about that. And he was able to pass in their apartment. I had caretakers. So he died at home, so to speak, there at their apartment. And so how did your mom end up managing after he did pass? She ended up staying there for a long time. Was she happy she, there? Well, <laughs> yes, mostly she was. She passed. She was living there when she died in 2021. I'll tell you, my dad, as, as a caretaker, my dad died in February. My son was a teenager at the time and he had a horrible skateboarding accident. Oh, no. About three or four weeks later, my mother fell and broke her hip while I was out, oh, of, my town, God. <laughs> out of town at a training. And um, Oh, my Lord. Yeah, I look back and I was working full time. I look back on that and I'm like, I don't even, I didn't know if I was coming or going. That was tough. So it wasn't too long after that, that I was like, I need to make some changes in my work life. Cause I was working full time and I had a part-time private practice. So I, I quit my full-time job and just continue with my private practice. Cause you know, I, that's more flex. I can run it, it as heavy a load or light a load as I needed to. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, but yeah, she had several bouts where you know, incidences over the next seven years that she had to use the 
the other parts of the community. So like <clears throat> when she broke her hip, they fixed it. But then she had the, you know, the, oh, shoot, anesthesia. Mm-hmm. That was a problem afterwards. So it took a few days to get her straight there. And then, but she was able to go to the rehab where she lived. Oh, good. Yeah. Yes. And she was able to stay in the skilled nursing. And I loved that because like you said, sometimes they go to some random rehab facility and they're there for six weeks and, or whatever, but mom was kind of at home, so to speak. It was just across the parking lot in a different building. And that made it easier on me because I could go back and forth to her apartment, to the rehab, yeah. and things like that. I wanted to highlight something you said, and I think we can forget. So when we're in a, a season of our life or a phase of our life where we're trying to fulfill uh, job requirements and be a mom and go to the right soccer games and mm-hmm. get the right groceries ordered at the right time, our world seems uh, ever expanding and, and we're not getting enough hours in the day to complete these things. But there's a different season of life where the world is getting smaller and the isolation, um, the social isolation is really, really a, a big factor that we don't think about because we don't feel it Correct. Um, in, the, in that phase of our life. And when you talk about, I always, I wonder out loud when people do make the decision to move into uh, some sort of retirement or senior living type situation, that that adds a little extra safety net for the spouse that survives. Yes. Because if that person is left out on a ranch by themselves and right. the home they've lived in for 60 years, it's almost as if the, the isolation will be compounded. There's grief and isolation and she's having trouble. So right. it almost worked out in a way that she had a soft landing after this and it wasn't, Oh, he passes away. Now I have to sell the house and process all these things. I mean, it was kind of like a, you know, like I I just call it a soft landing. That's the best word I can come up with. Yeah. Because it's not, yeah. Soft landing is a great way to put it. Cause a lot of the other words don't really, things we describe it don't really resonate, but I think that comes back to personality a little bit too. Like my mom and dad were both very social. So they appreciate it like that. But my mother-in-law is still living. She's almost 96 and she lives by herself, but she's not a big people person. She sees, you know, she's got people that she sees every day for a few hours, you know, different things. And she goes to her church on Sundays and that's enough for her, but she's just got more of that even temperament. So, and then like you mentioned, somebody living out on a ranch or something, you'd be hard pressed to get somebody that's been living out on a farm or a ranch to come in and live in a retirement community. That oh, was- that's my dad. That's the whole podcast with my dad, <laughs> that whole conversation. I, I saw that, right. but I didn't listen to all of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so yeah, and social isolation is a big thing for them. I mean, we, I think we take that for granted and something that that we that I mentioned earlier about my parents outlived their parents. So they didn't have any um, model for aging, but I've watched my parents age. So now I am already thinking about, okay, how am I going to live and organize my years moving toward that direction such that won't be causing stress for my children (laughs) is really my motivator, but you know, so then I can, hopefully live into my golden years in the most 
contented way possible. It's, you know, I mean, it's that adage of planning for the worst and hoping for the best. And yeah. if you're driving your Tesla at 85, then that's, that's a great outcome. But, you know, and, and a lot of it does go back to your, your personality, your temperament, how prepared you like to feel or how avoidant mm -hmm. you are. And so I, so, so this is cool. So you have this mental health background and then this lived experience and then this education you've acquired. So tell me, I know you have a, a website and other you know, ways that you're moving forward to help mm -hmm. people process this uh, stage in life. Tell me about that. Well, yeah, so I was just trucking along doing my private practice and thought, I'm just going to keep doing this and just roll right into retirement. And then I was on a walk one day, or I was a guest on another podcast um, talking about, you know, parental mental health of uh, parents of young children. And I was chatting with the host and I, we, we just in general, she was making some changes. And I said, yeah, I've got this idea. You know, I think there's just some missing information for, you know, adult children of aging parents. There's all these things that I learned. So fast forward, I said, huh, let me just start a new project. <laughs> so I have been working on, um, I've got, uh, similar to you, I've got some free resources that I've created for people. One that's called the bookend technique that I use that's like a three-step problem skill for helping problem solve with your parents. I've got a multitude of blogs that I've written on kind of these pain points that I hear a lot from my clients. Obviously, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching with my clients, with clients that have parents that they're struggling with. And then I run an eight-week group program two or three times a year, depending on my travel schedule. Yeah, that's right, because <laughs> you're a big traveler. <laughs> well, I, yeah, yeah, I like to. So, yeah, now that I can. But... Yeah, so I'm I'm enjoying the journey. It's another thing that's been um, important for me is um, to get outside of my community. You know, I, I help a lot of people in my community. I've lived here all my life. So, you know, I'm pretty well known here. But there's so many people in rural parts of the, world, the, the country or around the country that don't have access to some of these things. And if they if I can create an online presence for them then I think that's just great. You know, I, I'm happy to pay it forward. Oh, that's great. And, and if somebody wanted to look up those resources, how would they find you? I, the best way is to go to my website, edlaprevet.com. And I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. 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 Because <laughs> E-D-L-A for that, P-R-E-V-E-T-T-E. -T -T -E. Got it? Yeah, I have a, my, on my website, most of my stuff is on there and, you know, they can contact me directly. So, yeah. That is awesome. Well, I really enjoyed this conversation yeah. and I'm so glad you found me and I found you and that we got yeah. to talk today and any parting words of wisdom for anybody that's kind of in the storm right now? Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking about that. One of the, you know, one of the questions I get asked a lot are some of my, what are the lessons you learned through this process? And I was like, well, that's a lot of lessons, but I think there's four things that I would like to quickly leave people with in terms of just a jumping off place. One is personal composure. You know, you've really got to be in a, a calm 
place to engage your parents. So if that means you need to take some deep breaths and you need to go for a walk and you need to, you know, seek help for your own self, because if you are emotionally dysregulated, that is just going to make the interactions with your parents much more challenging. The second thing is educating yourself about kind of what, what are the typical stages of aging? What happens to the sensory um, components of a aging person? Making sure you have a support network, you know, a group of friends, siblings, neighbors, kind of creating your village. And then I think just remembering that it's important to connect with your parents. Because like you said, when we get so busy with our own lives, we sometimes don't deal with our parents until there's a problem. We need them to stop doing something or we need them to do something different. And what I know to be true is that if people don't feel connected, they're not going to be cooperative. So I would just encourage adults to children, adult children to really be mindful of finding ways to connect with their elderly parents or their aging parents. So that's my, <laughs> those are I, my parting tips. <laughs> oh, you, you sparked another thought in my head. Um, okay. And I, I'll run this past to you because from the mental health perspective, but I, and I'm probably saying this to myself more than anybody else, but, <laughs> but worry and control is not connection. Oh no. <laughs> so, so worrying about somebody being preoccupied with the decisions they're making or what might happen or what's already happened mm -hmm. and, and taking moves to, to try to control them or their future or whatever it is, right. that there is no definition of human connection that involves those types of interactions. And so it takes me back to you saying, you know, like sitting in the truck saying, let's talk about taking a bath right? And, and understanding that there are maybe some people who can't say, I can't, I can't do that anymore. Right. And it's much easier for me to sit here with some sweat. I'm used to it than to admit this. And that is that meeting them where they're at and connecting. Right. Um, and that's been a, a big thing for me as well. Um, I think our dads are maybe have some similarities <laughs> of how your dad like John Wayne. <laughs> oh, oh my God. You have no idea. And so, yes, they are very similar. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, like as much as, you know, as I try, I, I, I also have gotten myself to revel in autonomy yeah. and, and be impressed by it. I mean, you've got to have some conviction about yourself to sure. have all these people come say you should go to the doctor. And, and it's obviously with that personality type, that's the last thing they're going to do now. Like, right. it's just like with children, right? Like, right. Exactly. I really think you should, you know, unpack your lunch and that's not trigger children to do that exact action. And so, <laughs> and, and that can be part of that aging process, the, mm -hmm. the digging in the autonomy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we should, I really think we should honor that. And we may yeah. have to change our own expectations of well, does that mean that they're going to have the best cardiac outcome because they took the right amount of statins at the right time? And no, but you know, that, that, that's, a, that's the gift of life. You get to make those oh, decisions. Okay. Well, that's a great example. My dad smoked a pipe and they tried, I remember this, this was 10 years before he died probably. And they tried to get him, everybody wanted him to quit smoking a pipe. He finally quit smoking a pipe. Oh my, he was a bear. I yeah. remember telling my mother, What's 10 years on his life if he's miserable for the next 10 years? So I think our dads are the same because my dad chews tobacco <laughs> and he has quit 
many times in my lifetime. And sometimes he would choose a family vacation to try to quit. And then I saw what he looked like without the chewing tobacco. And I was like, I think we're fine. And there was even one point at which the, he told me, I think it was his cardiologist that was like, it's keeping your blood pressure low. It keeps your anxiety down. It's probably a wash. And I was like, okay, it's probably a wash. Yeah. And so that kind of constant, like, oh, you shouldn't be chewing tobacco. And oh yeah. And dad like, did, well, dad did quit, but he had a, he had a pipe in his mouth most of the time. He didn't ever, he, he quit smoking it, but he always had, it was almost like a adult pacifier, I guess. You yeah. know, it, did, it did, it was comfortable to him. So like lesson learned is, you know, people who live their life, how they're going to live their life, the entire, you know, lifespan are not going to change because you're an adult daughter that knows suddenly knows better. And, yeah. and there's just something kind of like we can respect about that. And, and maybe that's a lesson for us as well in our own lives. You can control what you can control and the rest of it's connection and, and try to make that as a positive, you know, connection as you can. So yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, that was my little extra on yeah, that. We could have, have, like yeah, have a whole nother hour. You know, there's so much yeah. to dive into, but this has been great. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope we could uh, talk again soon. All right. Take care, Rebecca. Thank you. Uh-huh. Hey, everyone. It's Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'd like to take just a moment to review the disclaimer. This podcast is for informational and occasional entertainment purposes only. Nothing discussed here is formal medical, legal, or financial advice. By listening to the podcast, we are not creating a patient-doctor relationship between you and myself or any of the guests. Really, it's just me and a possible guest or two, sometimes three, sitting around talking about difficult topics related to aging parents. If you have or suspect that you might have a medical problem or condition, you should seek advice from a licensed medical professional. If you have any questions or concerns, please read the full disclaimer in the show notes or contact me directly. Thank you again for joining us today. I can't wait to see you next week. Have a good day.